Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 329 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I'm Jason Evans. I'm your host this week. It is Thursday, the 22nd of July, and we are getting really excited here about the possibility of the Olympics coming up starting tomorrow with a number of Dukies playing, including Jason Tatum and Jaleel Okafor. By the way, we want to congratulate the Milwaukee Bucks for winning an NBA title. This means that former ACC stars Jordan Nwara and Mamadi Diakite have both won rings. So a tip of the hat to the former Louisville and Virginia stars there. No Dukies on the Milwaukee Bucks, so that's a pity. But what we're doing today is we're presenting the third of our series of reports with Jay Billis about the Dukies in the NBA draft. We're about a week out from the NBA draft at this point. We've already given you reports on DJ Stewart and Matthew uh, Matthew Hurt. So it is time now for us to look at Jalen Johnson. This is a guy who stirs some very mixed feelings at best among Duke fans after he left the team in the middle of the season to focus on this, the draft and his NBA future. And as you'll hear in our conversation with Jay, I asked Jay if he considers Jalen to be a member of the Brotherhood after the controversial way Jalen Johnson's career as a Duke basketball player ended. So not going to take any more delay, not going to waste your time anymore on anything other than listening to Jay Billis. Here is our conversation with Jay Billis about the NBA draft prospects of Dukie Jalen Johnson. So Jay, we've, uh, we appreciate it. We've heard from you in, in recent days, recent weeks about two other Dukies, Matthew Hurt and DJ Stewart. And that brings us to Jalen Johnson now, who has got the highest stock uh, of any of the Dukies going into the draft. But, um, but boy, there's some real questions <laughs> uh, about Jalen Johnson um, regarding things that are not on the basketball floor. So let's start, though, on the floor. What does an NBA GM see in Jalen Johnson in his game um, that gets them really excited and, and sort of puts this guy in the conversation for the lottery? A long-arm transition athlete that operates very effectively in the open floor and an excellent passer, uh, a guy that can really pass, uh, really high-level vision, uh, can handle it, um, and and rebounds uh, at a high level for his position. Uh, I think he can still improve as a defender um, and and become tougher in that regard, but he's got a lot of tools, and he he I think he needs to be able to shoot the ball more consistently. But that's something because he, he does have, um, you know, he's got good hands and he's got decent form. I think he can fix that. I think that can improve. You've seen um, with a lot of players over the years that don't uh, shoot it at a high level uh, in high school or college, that with a lot of work at the NBA level, they really become much better shooters. And uh, it, it, there are countless examples of it. We have seen some that have gone the other way where you thought they were going you know, sort of using that logic, you thought they were going to get better. And, and a couple of them have gotten worse. One of them is Ben Simmons, uh, you know, but, but that's more a mental issue, I think, than, than physical. Uh, so I think Jalen can really improve his shooting to where you have to go out and guard him uh, because that wasn't the case uh, in his first year, uh, you know, as a college player, uh, even though it was cut short when he decided to opt out of the season, he, I think he can be a better shooter, um, but it's going to require some, some more work. So I saw an interview with Jalen the other day where he said that the spacing in the NBA is going to work better for him than in college. There's more space. There's more room 
on the NBA floor and that he's a guy who you mentioned, he operates really well in space. Do you agree with that assessment? Do you think he's going to be better as a pro than he was as a collegian because of all that extra space? Well, I mean, if he continues to improve, um, there, there's, there may be the spacing is better. I think the NBA does a better job of using more of the court than college does uh, because they've got more guys that can really shoot it. Um, so you can space the floor, but really spacing the floor isn't the issue. It's stretching the defense. And if you can't shoot, you know, you're not going to have guys there. They're going to be helping off you. And, uh, and that shrinks the floor for, for a defense. Um, so, you know, Jalen's still going to have to hit those shots. He may have more space, but guys are going to force him, uh, to make those shots rather than to put the ball in the deck and drive it, which right now he wants to do. Uh, he's still, you know, excellent in transition, all the passing, all those things. But, uh, but if you're not, if you're not stretching the defense, um, you're not as valuable of an asset. Uh, and we talked about, you know, what, NBA teams like when they see him what are the red flags what are the things that an NBA team sees you've talked so much about the shooting is that the primary thing that they see and they go oh wow I'm a little worried about this guy it is for me um and I think it is it would be for most NBA decision makers um but you know the other thing that I don't know if you call it the elephant in the room it's the obvious thing is is he uh he stopped playing in the middle of the year and or, or toward the end of the year and just decided he'd had enough and uh and you know, that I think in any sport raises some questions. It doesn't mean those questions can't be answered in a positive way or it's disqualifying because he is really talented. Um, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't hear anybody, you know, talking about how, you know, Jalen lacked the, you know, requisite skills for the NBA and all these things when he went to Pittsburgh and had, you know, 24.17 rebounds, however many assists he had, all those four blocks, whatever it was. You know, I didn't hear other coaches say, hey, they'd be better off without him. You know, when he was hurt, the, the, the issue was when do they get him back? Because they need him back. And, you know, really things turned, in my view, after the Miami game. So Duke went down to Miami, got beat. Um, Jalen did not play well. He played better than some of his teammates. But, um, you know, he didn't bounce back from that particularly well. Um, I'm sure, you know, there were some issues with the, the coaching staff, uh, you know, maybe putting them through the ringer a little bit like they do oftentimes that if you don't do this, that, or the other, you're not going to play as much, or you're not going to start this game and, you know, trying to light a fire under players that happens. And, uh, and the fire didn't seem to get lit with him. Um, that's not horribly unusual. He's not the first player that that's happened with, but, but there aren't that many lottery picks that decide, you know, but it was a pandemic year. There was a lot going on. Um, and, and he decided to shut it down. Uh, I didn't think, I still haven't heard an explanation for it. Um, and, you know, it, it, the whole, all I've heard him say is it was the best thing for me and my family, but that doesn't make any sense to me. So I, if, if I were doing the drafting, I'd need to hear more about it. If it satisfied me, I'd take him as high as, as seven or eight, uh, because I think his talent level warrants that. I do think he'll be taken in the lottery, but it could be in the middle of the first round. It could be like 14 or 15. Um, you know, because people might think there's some risk involved there. You know, it's funny. Um, he, he went to a number of different high schools, but that was only brought up as a, as a, a negative when he, when he quit. And, you know, that's what all of this stems from. He quit and, uh, and athletics doesn't respond well to that. And uh, uh, clearly, you know, some people, you know, within the, the ACC that were critical of him, um, 
you know, it, it, it they didn't respond well to that at all. Um, but you know, that that's fine. It's just now it's a question of, of which NBA team is going to is going to like him well enough to pull the trigger on, on him. Is it going to be seven where I think his talent warrants him going or is it going to be further down to, to the 14, 15 range? And, and you know, I, I don't think there's any scenario where he drops out of the first round or anything like that. I think he's too good for that. But, you know, you've seen guys like Michael Porter Jr. Uh, because of issues with his back. He didn't play much his first year at Missouri. And, and look what, you know, look what's happened. He was a steal at that level for Denver. And, and he's, he's been producing at a, at a high level very early in his career. Uh, I think Jalen, he doesn't shoot as well as Porter Jr., but, um, you know, he's got that kind of ability level. So you, you address this notion that he quit. Um, let me ask you both as an analyst and as a member of the Brotherhood, a, a, a former Dukey, um, is Jalen part of the Brotherhood? There are a lot of Duke fans out there who, who they, they, they say they understand if a player transfers or, or goes one and done. They don't really understand a guy who, who they feel like quit on the team in the middle of a tough season. I mean, not, not to be flippant about this, but I don't even know what the brotherhood means. It, it's a, it's a, it's a slogan. And, you know, so what is being in the brother? I, like, I don't have my membership card. Uh, maybe <laughs> I'm not in it. I don't know. Um, but to me, that doesn't mean anything for the draft, whether the brotherhood or not, that that's a, that's a, a thing for Duke to figure out. And if the fans want to call him a member of the brotherhood, it don't want it, go ahead, do whatever you want. Um, to me, that's meaningless. Um, and it's certainly not going to affect the, the remainder of his career. You know, there, there are guys that have played one year, played three years, whatever. Um, it, it's an unusual thing for him to, a choice to have, for him to have made. And I think for anyone, in order to understand it, you'd want to have it adequately explained. And to me, it hasn't been explained, but I'm not the one he has to explain it to. I'm not drafting him. Uh, so he has to explain it to the NBA. And, you know, the NBA is not going to ask him. Nobody's going to get him in an interview and say, hey, are you still a member of the Brotherhood? Like, we need to know. Nobody cares about that stuff. You know, the only people that care are Duke people. And that's fine. They should care about it but because it's their, their team and their Brotherhood. But uh, but it's not it's not an issue for the NBA. They're they're looking at the future and what can Jalen Johnson provide to this franchise? What kind of an asset? And is it because he should be a long term asset uh, that 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 pays off for a long time as long as he stays healthy. And I think he's very capable of doing that. But as you guys know, when you're talking about an 18, 19 year old, I don't know how old Jalen is, uh, whether he's 19 yet, but when you're, you might even be 20, but when you're talking about how old a, a sort of a player at that age, you're dealing with different levels of maturity. So if he made a decision uh, that, that showed some immaturity, he's not going to stay that, that way forever. You know, there have, guy, there, there have been a number of players that have gone into the draft that their, their maturity has been questioned and they mature and they become, uh, you know, they get older, they become uh, better professionals. Um, they're better able to handle adversity. And this was a level of adversity that frankly, I'd never fathomed before. Um, you know, you're, you're isolated, uh, living in a hotel since August and going through a very difficult season when there was a lot of criticism and a lot, lot thrown at you. Um, and it's, it's not like you could, you, you know, you could sit down with your family. You couldn't even see your family. Uh, you, you weren't you weren't allowed your family wasn't allowed to come to the games things like that so um, you know it, it made it for to for a very difficult 
you know, sort of difficult year. Now, do I think, is it a choice I believe I would have made or I would have recommended? Like, even if he weren't playing well or felt like his stock was, uh, you know, was being impacted, unless it was a, a huge negative on his mental health, I would have counseled, if I had been asked, finish the season out because it raises a bunch of questions that are going to be hard to answer. And, and some people just aren't going to understand it. They can understand you not playing as well or having some difficulties, but people don't react well to, to quitting. And, and while we use the term opted out, um, you know, made a decision, whatever, at the end of the day, the term quitting applies. And, and that's fine. You know, we, we can say he quit on his teammates or he did this or he did that. He did, he did it moving towards something, whatever the reasoning was, um, you know, people are going to be able to say he quit and, uh, and they're going to want to be satisfied as to the answer. And I think that's the biggest thing. Can he satisfy people as to, as to the reasons why? So I, I want to get away from the court and talk about measurables for a minute, because um, in the case of Jalen Johnson, there are some really impressive measurables. Uh, from that we got from the combine he has the biggest and longest hands of anyone who is measured at the combine he had one of the best body fat percentages of anybody at the combine which shows um, that he's been working out a lot and you know is in really good shape how did the NBA look at those kind of stats on him that's just the stuff on paper and and uh, you know especially like those hands I was I was marveling at the, the fact that this guy had the biggest hands of anybody at the combine is that an important thing for NBA GMs it is helpful. Uh, you know, so, all those things about your body and athleticism are really important because those are lasting things. Um, you know, your size, your length, uh, the size of your hands is, is, is important. You know, like Kawhi Leonard has huge hands. You know, he can, he can do what he wants with the ball um, and can play uh, sometimes with one hand. Uh, and that, that's, I think that's very, very helpful. Uh, the fact that he is a, a very well-conditioned athlete um, is is certainly helpful. So th that's sort of the thing, uh, Jason, that we're talking about is that he checks every box um, on everything you want in a prospect. Um, he's got it all. You know, like, look, he doesn't shoot it yet, but but I say yet because I think he's going to be able to improve that. Um, you know, the, the only thing that you can really question is does he the want to part of it. Uh, and, and, you know, not finishing the season raises that question, you know, does, does he want it sort of the, the, the word, you know, the thing that, that the NBA uses a lot, you hear it all the time They say, does he love to play? You know, the last, does he, does a guy love to play? Because there are guys out there that are really good and they don't, you know, they're not willing to put the extra time in, in order to not just be good, but be great. Um, and you know, you're, these teams are going to be drafting and, and committing, a, a, an asset being their first round draft pick. And they're also going to be committing a lot of money. And so they want to get the player to a second contract and have that pay off for them. Uh, and if, if you have questions there is, you know, is this player going to, going to really pay off? Um, you know, believe me, those, those NBA people are going to ask it and they're going to want to be satisfied before they draft. Otherwise they'll go, this is a deep draft there are other really good players that we can take here and that present less risk in that regard. Um, there's always talent that you weigh talent versus risk. And, and there, there, there's a point in the draft where you're going to go, okay, I get the risk, but the talent um, uh, gives us reason to, to take that risk here. We wouldn't have taken it. Like I mentioned, Michael Porter jr. Um, that was a great, you know, with the back issue, that was a great uh, pick at 15, I believe it was, 
um, it, they might not have been as comfortable doing that at six or seven uh, because his talent level uh, indicated or, or you know, suggested that he should have been taken in the top three. And, and Jalen Johnson's similar. He's not top three, but he's top seven as far as talent is concerned. Uh, but, but because of some of the questions and, and some of the perceived risk, it may put him down to 14, 15, maybe 20. So, uh, Jay Billis, if you were a NBA GM, uh, let's say you've got like, you know, the 13th pick, last pick of the lottery, Jalen Johnson in your lottery, or, or do you go, you know what, I need something that's a little more of a sure thing. You said it's a deep draft. I mean, he's in my lottery, but, but the question would be Jason, if, um, or for me would be what, what if you have, you get to 13 and it's between him and Keon Johnson at Tennessee, uh, who's a spectacular athlete, uh, and, and, you know, goes after people and can really defend, um, and, you know, he's got a, a really high ceiling. Uh, do you do that? You know, when there's, you don't have a question about, does he want to, um, and again, Jalen may have satisfied everybody as to that question. I haven't heard anybody talk about it. So I don't know. I only know what he said, uh, you know, when it happened, what he said in, in subsequent interviews, and then what he said to us at the combine, you know, he was asked, I think I asked him straight out about it. And he just said it was the right thing to do for, for, for me and my family. And, uh, and that didn't, to me, answer the question. It was an answer. It didn't answer my question. Uh, so, you know, the NBA in, a, in interviews, they're not going to stop at that. They're going to want to be satisfied uh, on a, a deeper level than just that. So uh, we're, we're now wrapping up our coverage of the NBA draft with you, Jay. And I, I want to do something with you that we do with all our guests. We usually ask them for a favorite Coach K story. You've done that with us before. I want to ask you for a favorite draft story. I want you, you said 19 years you've been doing this. Think back for me for a moment. Uh, you know, what's like your best behind the scenes or favorite moment? And I hope it is Fran Fraschilla saying that uh, Bruno uh, Caboclo is two years away from being two years away. That's my favorite draft moment from the past decade when he said he's two years away from being two years away. Yeah, that was funny. Um, yeah, I don't, you know, I've got my, my draft stories usually come with, uh, with uh, did I make it to the end without having to get up and use the restroom? Cause it's a, you know, six, six hours sitting there and it's uh, you know, you have to manage your, your fluid intake uh, to make sure you make it to the end. Um, they don't, don't provide catheters, I, no, no catheters for you guys. No, no, that, that the old, that old movie semi-tough back in the seventies would, would come to mind, but I, I haven't, I'm not sure that I have any draft stories. You know, one, one of the funny things I, I think is when, I always laugh when the picks get handed up to Reese Davis, you know, they, they have this little toy arm, you know, that you, so you, uh, you squeeze one end of it and it, it grabs a, a, a piece of paper. So they use that to hand up to him who the next draft pick is. And so he'll know maybe 10 seconds before it's announced so that he's ready to go. And the rest of us don't know. Um, so it, it, the only way we would know is looking at Twitter when Adrian Wojnarowski puts it out and so, you know, the people at home knew who the pick is before we do. And every once in a while, they'll ask us and we'll say, well, you know, this team needs this. How about this guy? And they're, well, they've already decided, you know, we're, you know, Woj already knows. Uh, so I don't, I don't look at any of that stuff. It's just a kind of a weird night in that regard that, that uh, you know, I, I know a lot of the NBA teams have, they'll have Twitter feeds of different people up 
on a big screen while they're going through the draft. That's the one thing I, I would love to ha- take a, a year off of the draft uh, before they fire me, um, but take a year off and sit in a draft room and watch how it works. Cause I would love to watch that. Just love to see the information that, that they have to call at the last second. They've all done, you know, mock drafts. So if, if this, then that, you know, if this guy's available, we'll do this. Um, but when, when everybody's under the gun and you're not sure whether, why a player is dropping, um, you know, they're looking for information, they're reading Twitter feeds and all that stuff. Uh, I would love to love to be in there to see all that. Hey, hey, when they hand the pick to Reese with the little, you know, clipper thing, does his face, is he, you know, perfectly stone faced or does he ever like give you a surprise look or something like that to clue you in that something crazy is about to happen? He may, I don't know about the crazy. I don't remember him ever doing that. There have been times when, when one of us may have said, well, this is the pick. This is what the team should do. Or here's what I would do. Something like that, where he'll get it and he'll look at you and go, you know, something like that. Um, Give you the nod. Yeah. (laughs) God, God forbid, maybe you were right out of all the times we're wrong. But that's sort of the thing. There are two things that when you're a, when you're a, you know, now they call us basketball analysts instead of, they used to be, I remember when I used to be called a color man, you know, he, he does color for ESPN. Um, but there are two things you hate to be asked. One is it, it, when a team's in a huddle before they're going to take the last shot, when the play by play person says, what are they going to do here? Like, <laughs> like I've been scouting this <laughs> right. stuff. Um, you know, they're going to try and make a basket. (laughs) The opposing coach doesn't know what they're going to do, you know, so you have to come up with something there. And when they say, Hey, what should the jazz do with the 15th pick? You know, something like that. And you, you know, you have to say, well, this is what they need or all that. Here's the best available player and all that stuff. Um, you know, that, that's not a position anybody wants to be in to have to be the, and, and especially when Woj probably told everybody what, what the pick was anyway. So you don't have, I'm surprised you don't have Twitter up there to see what Woj is doing. Oh man. No, no, I don't. As you guys know, I don't follow anybody, but um, one, I do not want to be bothered by not just uh, to know what's going on because there's nothing I can do about it. And I don't want it to shade any commentary I have, but I I have a pretty good rule uh, when I'm broadcasting is I do not look at social media while the game's going on or while the broadcast is going on because I don't, I don't want to be, you know, you know, sort of influenced by what, you know, what's trending. Um, the only time I've done it, I did it a couple of times. Um, I think it was, it might've been last year where uh, maybe it was Jamin Brakefield came in and, and, you know, he, he, he scored a bunch of points in a row and, and all, all I could, at my age, all I could think about was, you know, that's what Vinnie Johnson used to be the microwave. And I can't call it the microwave. It's an old technology. It has a microwave now. Um, and so, so we started looking on Twitter for people saying, no, start calling him the air fryer or all these other things. They had all the, and, and we had a good time with it. Um, we were looking for things to kind of enjoy ourselves because there were no fans or anything that the environments did, you know, dictated that we had to do some different things this year. And so that was actually fun. So we've done a few things like that, but that's really the only time. And most of the stuff I got were text messages actually which led me to look at Twitter uh, because of it. Cause I started getting text messages from my friends. A lot of them, Duke players, former Duke players saying air fryer, this is the new technology. Yada, this, uh, you know, all the different, you know, t- things that you can heat something up quickly. 
the hot pocket or whatever the hell it was. It was just, it was really funny. And it was funny who was sending them too. I, I didn't want to rat anybody out, but it was pretty funny. Jay, thanks so much. As always, your, your contributions are uh, witty and also knowledgeable. That is a great combination and we love it here on the DBR podcast. We will have you back very soon, man, because there's so much more to talk about regarding Duke. Have fun at the draft with ESPN and uh, root on those Dukies. Hope they, hope they get their names called sooner than, than uh, anyone expects. That's always a good thing. Yeah, root for me to make it through, uh, make it through without having to run to the can while it's going on. And, no and big anytime jumps. you guys, anytime you guys need me back to lower your ratings or, uh, you know, tube the podcast, I'm I'm available. There's there, there's an endless well of of nil discussion that we have to have for you to to show up and ruin. So uh, <laughs> can you can you imagine can you imagine the endorsements I would have had? I mean, <laughs> I, I oh, I, Pete Rinaldi's fried chicken. I would have I would have been all over that. Can we had a, we me? had a, we had an extensive discussion about this the other day because uh, JJ Reddick made a bunch of good uh, points on on Twitter about how he would ruin his own uh, NIL endorsement money. <laughs> Blow it all on Natty Lights. And, That's and, what he uh, said. <laughs> I saw shirts. I thought I saw With it. Pop collars. Yeah. 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 It was great stuff. Um, wait, I have one more. I have one more question. Now that uh, Reese Davis is a is a Duke dad. Uh, is he now pulling for the Duke guys or is he not, is he not like fully roped in on that yet? Yeah, I did. I did, you know, to the brotherhood discussion, I did, uh, I did tell Reese that now he's a member of the brotherhood. So, you know, whether he's gotten his t-shirt from Nolan Smith or what, uh, he's now a brother, you know, member of the brotherhood and he's got the, now when he comes to, uh, to Durham, you know, he has to, he has to go to Krzyzewskiville and, and pay his respects to coach K and all that stuff. He can't be, can't be the unbiased, uh, Reese Davis anymore. He's gotta, he's gotta come over to the dark side. He's locked in. Excellent. Love it. Thanks again, Jay. Thank you guys. So again, our thanks to Jay Billis for joining us to talk about Jalen Johnson and guys, the the elephant in the room in, in that conversation, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's the question about Jalen is not the measurables or the athleticism or the skills. I mean, Jay talked about his passing and, and I went back and I, I looked at some of Jalen Johnson's, uh, you know, highlights from last year, you know, he, He's just, he's special when he's on the floor and got the ball in his hands. The the elephant in the room is he quit on the team. And, uh, you know, Jay said the fact that Jalen has not been able to answer that question is a really big deal. Donald, I'll go to you first for reaction. Um, you know, what, was there anything that, that you heard that as a GM, you know, would make you say, yeah, it's worth taking a risk on a guy who who transferred to like four different high schools and then quit on Duke midway through the season. I would want to get him in a room, like Jay said, and ask these questions and not leave him, not have him leave that room until I'm satisfied with whatever answer that he's given that that's the step one. I, I honestly don't know what that answer is because we, just like Jay said, we've only heard as fans, we've only heard the line of I did what's best for me and my family. And, you know, even for Duke fans, a lot of Duke fans are like, yo man, that's not enough. Like, why would you leave at this point? What was the timing? What was whatever that led to this decision being made? And does the team actually support it? Like, I mean, let's put it this way, you know, right? For NBA draft night, you'll see, you know, back when Kentucky was 
getting five, six guys drafted in the first round. Calipari was at every single table, right? Now, there are some Duke, Coach K is never sitting at any Duke player's table, but there's obviously a lot of players that he would have if given the opportunity or if he was that kind of coach that wanted to be out there. I, I think in any case, I'm not sure that Coach K would be sitting at Jalen Johnson's table on draft night in, 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 a, in a normal world if he was like Calipari and was the kind of guy that went around to stuff like that. So I'm not sure what that answer is. NBA teams have to be sure they know what that answer is. So, and that's the real question of, of Jalen Johnson. All of the other things on the court, the man is fantastic, but it can only go you, take you so far. And if, if coaches think you're going to be, or teams think you're going to be a guy that's going to shake up the chemistry and, and take it in a downward track, or just be a guy that commands all the attention. And when they don't get that attention, decide to want to trade or leave or somehow disrupt the, the process that they have. That is a big red flag for a lot of teams. Coachability, again, is, is another one. And if you can't be coached and you can't take criticism, you can't, you know, if you shut down and kind of, you know, go away from the team when things get hard, teams want to know how you're going to react to that. And right now, his on paper, his track record does not look good. So he has to answer those questions and he has to answer them well. Jay talked about how there is a depth of talent in this draft and that obviously hurts everybody involved because then there are more guys around you and you can get pushed down. But I think for a guy like Jalen Johnson, who has clear strengths and also what appear to be clear weaknesses in, in his ability to compete, um, he can get hurt very badly by that because any given GM can, as you guys said, go through that interview with him, not be satisfied and be like, all right, fine. There are other guys in this draft that are exciting. There are other guys that are athletic. There are other guys that produced and, and have track records that are longer than Jalen Johnson's. So I'm not going to spend the 10th pick, the 11th pick, the 12th pick. I don't need to do that. And so he may fall farther than that. Now on the flip side, you can be, you can be much more transactional when you in, evaluate him and say, look, it hasn't worked in these other places, but those places were not the NBA. And, and when Jalen was given when he took his time to leave the program and go get ready, he showed out really well and, and he performed well at the combine. He had good measurables and, and he got, you know, some of the best attention from that relative to his rep coming out of school, out of the end of the school year. So you could say, look, you know, all that, like all that he accomplished in, in high school and in college doesn't really matter being an NCAA champion or making the NCAA tournament or being an all American none of that affects your ability to perform at the NBA level. And, uh, and I think you'll hear GM say that. One of the most disappointing things that you guys also pointed out was that we haven't gotten answers to the questions about, about why he left. And there was a, there was a Charlotte Observer article that uh, our old buddy John Alexander wrote the other day where he asked Jalen Johnson, so why'd you leave Duke? And he gave that stock answer. And I think the headline on the article, the three of us were talking about this. The headline on the article was Jalen Johnson explains why he left Duke. And he really didn't. He hasn't explained that yet. And maybe he has behind closed doors uh, to, to decision makers, to NBA decision makers, but we haven't heard it. And it's going to be tough, I think, for Duke fans to, to really embrace it. And look, I, I think that there's an explanation for him that would make me satisfied and say, all right, he actually did the best thing for him, but it does feel like he sort of went the quitter route when it came to deciding to, to end his college career because there wasn't that much time left and, and he's not going to get that time back. And it's funny you mentioned that, that word, 
quit, right? When, when this happened, we were very quick to not use that word because we didn't know any of the answers. We didn't know any of the explanations, right? So we decided, hey, let's not, we can't call him a quitter because we don't know what's really going on. And, it, and it's unfair to speculate and, 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 and assume, right? But Jay used that word when describing Jalen Johnson and describing the, the instance that went down. And honestly, these questions are not going to end in these boardrooms when he's going in for interviews and for workouts. On draft night, when he gets drafted, this question will come up. It's not, it's, it's, it's without hesitation, one of the first questions that are going to come out after like, how do you feel about going to insert team is going to be, hey, you left Duke. What was the reason behind that? You left your high school. What was the reason behind that? And he's going to have to be ready for that answer. That's where you can, maybe can give more of a stock answer, but you have to be able to explain yourself because that is your first impression on a new fan base. And if they can't trust you, they're going to be out there questioning why their team drafted you in the first place. So it will be very, I'm very curious to see what comes down the road from Jalen Johnson on that. Because honestly, if he can get that out of the way, we're talking about a top five, top six, top, top seven talent in this draft. Yeah. I, so I will tell you guys that I think the, the important call, the important conversation about Jalen Johnson is not only Jalen talking to teams. NBA teams are going to reach out to Coach K. They, they're, yep. going to, they're going to ask him and, and, and those conversations are private conversations. These are things that these things will not leak to the media, but there are going to be, there's going to be GMs out there, especially because several of them are Dukies <laughs> players who played for coach K who are now in front offices. Um, God, there's a, there's a ton of them um, both as GMs and assistant GMs, player personnel, you know, all that stuff. They're going to reach out to coach K and say, Hey, give us your impression of this guy. And, and, and give us your take on him leaving the team, you know, with a half dozen games to go. Um, and, and it's going to be very interesting to hear what Coach K, uh, we probably won't hear, but if you see Jalen dropping a lot, it's entirely possible that Coach K told teams something they didn't want to hear. He probably already has. They probably have already had yeah. some of these conversations yeah. because, again, this process probably started when he left Duke. And, you know, it's just like, you know, when, guys go through the draft process before they decide whether or not they're going to leave Duke. Those, a lot of people will call and say, Hey, what, you know, what do you think about this guy or that guy? And those conversations have probably already started. There's probably some who will call him back, but I think, you know, when he entered Duke, he was considered a top four pick by a lot of people. Now we're talking about whether or not he gets drafted in the mid to late lottery or even the mid first round uh, after the lottery. So Teams have already started to kind of walk away or distance themselves from the possibility of drafting Jalen Johnson for whatever reason. That's going to be, again, it's the, it's the one big question for me. If I had a one big question over my head that's stopping people from, from wanting to have me, I'm getting rid of that, dispelling that notion immediately. There's something that is off about it. And again, I'm curious to see what that is. All right, guys. So it's over under time on Jalen Johnson. We've done this on the other Dukies. Time for the last one. And, and I'm setting the over under at 15, the middle of the first round. Does Jalen Johnson go in the top half of the first round or the bottom half of the first round? Donald, I'll come to you first. What, what do you think? This is very hard. Um, I'm going to go push. I know we go over under, but I think 15 
is where he Donald, you got to commit. No, man. no, no. I'm Stop sorry, that. man. But well, okay, so wait. So 15 is then one to 15. So your your question is one to 15 or 16 mm-hmm. to six, 16 or, or beyond. Okay, 16 so to 30 I think, essentially because there's no way Jalen Johnson. No, so it's not, it's it's after the 15th pick and then within two minutes after the 15th pick is Jalen Johnson in the NBA. So so basically you're saying the over under is pick 15 and a half. Yes. And I'm going to yes. go over. I say that the Washington Wizards draft Jalen Johnson with a 15 pick. There we go. Sam? I'm going under. I, uh, I think that individual GMs are going to get scared off by enough things that they're going to talk themselves out of Jalen Johnson. And he may be one of those guys that falls a lot farther than his talent would indicate that he should. Yeah, on talent alone, he's a top 10 pick. Uh, but, but I agree. I think that if you're a GM... Yeah, you want to succeed, but the thing you really don't want to do is you really don't want to fail. You don't want to have a disaster. Um, and I think if you take this guy and he turns out that he's problematic for you, um, everyone's going to say, well, you should have seen that coming. What kind of a GM are you? And I think that's going to scare some guys off. And so I think that he will last into the late teens. Um, but I think he'll be off the board by 20 or so. And I think, honestly, the reason why I'm saying that the Washington Wizards are the team that I could see picking him at 15 is because they have one guy who is the opposite uh, of anything that we just talked about, the word quitter or anything like that. And that's Russell Westbrook. And when you have a guy that has these issues or has this, this question mark over their head, you put him next to someone who is just a grinder, who's just going to make sure that that dude never, ever has the word quitter or, or tenacity. Like, all those questions, none of that will be hanging over his head ever again because Russell Westbrook will take him under his wing and he will teach him how to play NBA basketball and to do it the right way. So that is something where I think GM, the, the GMs uh, and, and the scouts over at, at over here down, down the street from me are probably thinking, okay, if we can get him in a room in a camp with Russell Westbrook, then maybe this talent will emerge and all the other questions can be taught out of him or forced out of him by just being around a guy who just does nothing but play basketball all day. You know, the team that I think takes a flyer on him, Oklahoma city has three picks in, in the first round. They've, they've got the, the number six and then the number 16 and 18. And, and they have OKC has a ton of draft picks over the next several years. They traded away all their good players in recent years, and they have acquired just a, a ridiculous number of draft picks. That's the type of team that can go, Hey, you know what? I'll take it at number 16 or number 18. I'm getting a guy who's a top 10 talent. If it doesn't work out in Oklahoma city, that's going to fine. What the heck? Cause they, they've got, they're going to have so many young guys on their roster that they can afford to, to take flyers and jettison guys who, you know, are, are questionable for one reason or another. So that's why assuming he's still there, I would think Oklahoma city, all the, all the question mark guys who could be great, but they you know, but there's something weird hanging about them. Oklahoma City is going to be drafting those guys constantly over the next several years because they can afford to. If they keep the draft picks because they are definitely actively seeking to yes. take some of those picks and package them to move up in the draft. Yes. So that's going to wrap it up for us here on episode 329. Donald and Sam, thanks a lot for being with me. Jay Billis, of course, thank you so much for joining us for all three of these episodes. Hey, we'll be back very soon on the Duke Basketball Report podcast with Olympic Talk. We are certainly following developments on the recruiting trail as well, where there are several top Duke targets playing in the Peach Jam showcased in Augusta this week. 
And it sure seems like college sports are about to undergo a major shift with Texas and Oklahoma eyeing the, uh, the SEC. Who knows what dominoes will fall after that. But we'll get to all of that on future episodes. You know, just because it's the summer doesn't mean we're taking any time off here on the DBR podcast. For Donald and Sam, I'm Jason Evans. Again, this is episode 329. It's time for the Duke Band to play us out and take us home.